Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Weekly Dispatch. Covering the week of the 12th through the 19th of January, I'm Sean. I'm back here in New York City, East Coast, Best Coast. This week has been very busy between the impeachment articles heading towards the Senate for a hearing starting this upcoming week. Lev Parnas, who is an associate of the former mayor of New York City and President Trump's counsel, Rudy Giuliani, breaking his silence on CNN and MSNBC discussing the efforts in Ukraine, the fallout with the 2017 Houston Astros, and other topics we'll cover this week for you. As always, we are very proud that our sponsor is Paragon Recovery. Paragon Recovery offers products designed for individuals like you and me, most likely incredibly fit, super good looking, to stay in the fight through activating a better way to recover while you sleep. Bobby and I have been using the products for a year, and Paragon was an incredible resource for us as we tested all this programming on our Cronus fam uh, that you currently suffer through. Use the code Cronus to get great savings on their products. Stay one step ahead of Father Time and just another tool for your kit bag. Also, exfoliate and moisturize your skin so when you're 31, you look like this guy. I mean, obviously my voice is velvety, but so are my cheeks. Our first story this week is a rundown of what the impeachment article delivery to the Senate means. What happened on the floor with the Chief Justice? It's nothing bad. I'm, I'm not alluding to anything bad. It's just a monumental event because it's only occurred three times in U.S. history. And what do new documents released mean for the senators who will hear this case? Furthermore, there's a big fight right now over witnesses and what that actually looks like, plus some discussion on due process and our civil procedure. Well, 21 years ago, we had this same event occur with then-President Clinton, and the parties were swapped in defense and prosecution over the facts. Now, we have President Trump impeached by the House on two articles. On Wednesday, the House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi from California signed the articles in a ceremony at Capitol Hill surrounded by her team of managers. A lot of people in the media refer to them as her lieutenants. I'm super offended. I didn't see any cool gold or silver bars, but that's just me. Thank me for my service. The articles were then walked to the Senate and presented formally to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. For those of you wondering what happened, and you've not been living under a rock, right? Quick recap, President Trump is alleged to have tried to leverage the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to launch an investigation into the Bidens as well as a probe into a theory that the Democrats conspired with Ukrainian agents to interfere in the 2016 election. Ahead of signing the resolution, now back to Speaker Pelosi, she acknowledged the historical moment and highlighted that, quote, making progress for the American people is paramount. The impeachment articles are within House Resolution 798, which passed 228 to 193, because clearly you and I track all the resolutions for the current year, anxiously awaiting those outcomes and the votes. Senator McConnell said, and I quote, this is a difficult time for our country, but this is precisely the kind of time for which the framers created the Senate. And we're going to go on to talk about what the Constitution interpretation means and how, as we go forward, we might read that differently. Not saying that we're going to get rid of the Senate here. I'm just saying in general words, context, blah, blah, blah. 
Going on further to mention, uh, Senator McConnell mentioned the Senate will rise above the factional fever to protect and serve the nation's best interests. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler will be the impeachment manager in the case for the Senate. Chairman Nadler will be joined by his Democratic colleagues, Mr. Schiff, Ms. Lofgren, Mr. Jeffress, Mrs. Demings, Mr. Crow, and Ms. Garcia. President Trump, in response, has named his counsel as Ken Starr and Mr. Dershowitz to his legal team. Ken Starr was the investigator whose results led to President Clinton's impeachment, and Mr. Dershowitz is a Harvard Law School professor who became famous for his defense of O.J. Simpson. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Or that might have been Johnny Cochran, but he worked on the same trial. Except here, the Senate can acquit, but the records will forever show that President Trump was impeached by the House. So that may or may not have been really the end goal of any of this process. It's important to understand the significance of this moment, though, and especially when we talk about due process and witness calling. On Friday, the Senate issued a summons to the president, informing him of the charges and inviting him to respond by Saturday evening before the Senate will be adjourned for the long weekend. Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, his name is John G. Roberts Jr., will sit as the presiding officer as the senators will serve as an impartial jury and justice element. Within the law, the concept of due process is a matter of civil procedure, goes back years and years. Due process is something we afford nearly every American, even in the worst situations, and I mean the worst situations, because we must preserve our commitment at home to the principles we fight for abroad. In this matter, each individual must receive notice of the factual basis for his or her classification and given a fair opportunity to respond. Now, that doesn't always mean a court trial or evidentiary hearing. It can be procedurally. So if there's an administrative function that has been set up to prevent a bunch of lagging court hearings, uh, as well as when we balance the efficiency of the procedure with the deprivation of the individual. So it's a lot of balancing that we have to do. But the U.S. Constitution protects that right to be heard in Amendment 14, Section 1. And I quote, nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty, or property without due process of the law. Even in those weird situations that I mentioned, in 2001, a U.S. citizen named Yasser Hamdi was arrested by the Northern Alliance forces. Hey, look it, we're back in Afghanistan and we're not talking about the election. I'm sorry, I've not got the answer for you to that, but we'll continue with this story. Yasser Hamdi had ties to the Taliban, as well as the incidents at Muzari Sharif, where that prison break was, before he was handed over to the Americans by the Northern Alliance. There, uh, we had a battle over whether or not he was given an opportunity of due process to challenge his enemy combatant status that he earned after the 9-11 attacks, where his father petitioned for what is called a writ of habeas corpus, which means requiring a person under arrest to be brought before a judge or court unless or to secure lawful grounds for detention. And even at a time when Congress passed the authorization for use of military force, which is something that we talked about with the Soleimani strike, that still requires us, regardless of that AUMF, to honor, honor the citizens' uh, rights as we find them. So it's really important that 
in all of this, remember, American citizens have the right to due process. And so that leads us now to the next point. With all this going on in the Senate, there's a lot of pressure to bring more witnesses to bolster the prosecution and to support the claim made by the Democrats. Specifically, the Senate must determine the rules of the hearing, not having an official rules committee like the House, and determine through a vote whether bringing witnesses like John Bolton is something that the senators want to pursue. Democrats need four Republicans to support a vote for a majority to get witnesses added to the trial. Republicans are arguing that the articles sent to the Senate should be the only evidence argued over, citing previous trials and the opportunity that the Democrats had in the House for that three-week period to really build an effective case. However, because the White House staff were told to deny any subpoenas and not to comply with the request, some Democrats believe that they weren't given an opportunity to exercise an even more lengthy potential process in the House of Representatives because of this obstacle created by the White House. Now, John Bolton, who we mentioned just a minute ago, has firsthand knowledge of the phone call at the center of the aid freeze in Ukraine, as well as conversations with the president. And now President Trump can't stop Mr. Bolton from testifying. As the national security advisor, Bolton would have a deep understanding of the specific security threats to U.S. interests through withholding that aid. And it's one of the things that Democrats really want to get an idea for. So remember, all those like 17 witnesses that came forward, not a single one had firsthand knowledge of what the president said or thought. It was just kind of pieced together like a giant puzzle. And it was one of the things that Republicans like Devin Nunez were critical of witnesses saying, because you weren't there, you can't understand, or because you overheard it and you didn't talk with the president afterwards, you can't confirm that your interpretation of his words are truly what they mean. Now, Senator Collins, who is Republican, has already alluded to a potential to vote in favor of calling the witnesses, and it doesn't stop there as Republicans are hinting at the desire to call Hunter Biden. Other key witnesses to note that we might see come up if this vote passes, Mick Mulvaney, acting chief of staff who admitted at a press conference that it was a quid pro quo, although that's not the crime, that the House drew up those impeachment articles over before walking it back. Robert Blair, who is Mulvaney's top aide. Michael Duffy, the top White House budget official. He was the guy that wrote that email within two hours of the phone call telling the DOD that Trump wanted to see and stop giving the money to Ukraine, keeping it quiet. And then later, that same individual tried to pin the freeze on the Department of Defense for which individuals in the Pentagon were quite blown away. If more witnesses come, the prior impeachment trial required them to be deposed for several days before the trial to answer questions and give effective answers without support of hearing other testimony. Each party will get 24 hours if they follow the case of President Clinton to present arguments, and that starts with the Democrats, where Chairman Nadler will present evidence against the president, Questions then will have uh, 16 hours for like a back and forth answer period through the trial. The questions get presented to Chief Justice Roberts, who then reads them out loud. At the end of the day, though, it takes 67 votes to remove a sitting president. With all this going on, Lev Parnas recently came out on national TV and caused quite a stir in headlines. First, going all the way back to Ambassador Yovanovitch, Parnas says he saw President Trump tell an aide that she should be fired. Parnas is a Soviet-born businessman who became a key figure in the workings of former Mayor Rudy Giuliani. 
Parnas said in multiple interviews, the event happened last year at Trump's hotel in Washington where he saw uh, President Trump tell an aide about the firing. Parnas said he told the president that Yovanovitch was bad-mouthing him and talking about impeachment, which apparently sent President Trump into, quote-unquote, a tirade, which sources have yet to confirm. But at the end of the day, Yovanovitch was fired. New details emerged with the coordinated effort to influence Ukraine, saying that it was he, Parnas, who orchestrated meetings with close associates of Zelensky in order to prove his connection to key Ukrainians, as well as discussing and following and spying on Yovanovitch, which now former Ambassador Yovanovitch is pressuring the State Department, and Pompeo has come out and said that he had no idea, but she wants an investigation into this. In all of this, Parnas says Republicans are now afraid of calling him as a witness because of how damning he will be. Congressman Nunez, again, who previously said he did not know Lev Parnas, came out saying that he kind of does know and remembers he had a call with them. And this is significant because Nunez was such a, a vocal opponent in the House Intelligence Committee uh, questioning uh, of the witnesses, almost all of whom corroborated the same story, which no one was disputing because the facts supported the claims that came out and they just weren't the direct source sought by Republicans. And, and Nunez says that Parnas now isn't a reliable source having been indicted for major felonies and sees Parnas as a Democratic agent. Devin Nunes says he never had contact with Parnas. He said that multiple times on the air, and now he says he remembers them, have phone calls, there's text evidence with Nunes's aide and Parnas. But at the end of the day, we also have to remember, Parnas has been indicted. So we can only take this evidence he's presenting at face value. No one in all this is safe or innocent in these proceedings. And one of the things that you've heard me multiple times say, if we had term limits, I guarantee you individuals that we elect into office wouldn't be spending so much time wasting our taxpayer dollars on the inappropriate means that they take to stay in power and just focus on getting our key bills passed. All the news organizations have been covering this impeachment spectacle. Its effect is still yet to be seen on stuff like the campaign. Uh, you've got individuals like Senator Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren all expected to be in Washington, D.C. while the Iowa caucuses are going on. One Arizona Republican is already apparently angered by the questioning about witnesses. Uh, that's Martha McSally. She called a CNN reporter a liberal hack, refused to answer the question about presenting witnesses. And just to show that there's no bias here, she also failed to answer Laura Ingram's exact same question and then Ingram kind of asked if she would call her a hack for the same line of questioning, but multiple times said no. Side note that I just learned, though, Laura Ingram graduated from UVA Law and dated Kellyanne Conway's husband before Kellyanne did. That's just a weird, there you go, asterisk thing you can put in your, uh, your backpack and bring it out on a rainy day. But uh, on Republican and Democrats in the Senate, we talked about Susan Collins has come out to be open to the idea of witnesses, and now there's some reports that more Republicans are going to be in on it. The crux of this argument, though, stems, stems around how we interpret the Constitution and our legislatures. And this is where I talked about the history. Uh, authority stems from the rule of law and the idea that courts need to answer or fill in the gaps created by the legislation that created our laws. This was one of the topics that Alexander Hamilton, not the 
play uh, something that they discussed, but in general, that he discussed in his Federalist Papers when he talked about the concept of judicial review, which is a slightly different subject, but rooted in the same principle, where we can say, as he did, and I quote, the true threat to law is on occasion the failure of politicians. Hamilton, in that phrase, meant why we needed judicial review was to curb the failures of temporary legislatures in favor of independent life-appointed justices on the Supreme Court. But I would say it raises a great point about politicians and a general bias that they might have and an inability to get things done towards this idea of a public choice theory of law. This theory describes politics and politicians as the choices determined by efforts of individuals and groups to further their own interests. And so we sit there and we break that down a lot of times, those individuals and groups aren't the voters. Those are huge interests and lobbying groups with really deep purses. As we get more groups out there, generally there's a greater source of moderation and then there's a mutual benefit created through pluralism. But that doesn't appear to be the case today. You can probably find some of that, I think, in European countries who have very diverse and a greater number of political parties than we do. Instead, you know, we've only got those two powerhouses just kind of playing it out. Much like, I would say, the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots, you know, powerhouses of their league. What the legislators have the power to do today, though, is called enactable preferences, where with some influence from the context and the legislative history at the time of the drafting of such articles, or in this case, the Constitution, and where we go back to calling witnesses, they can interpret it to fit our current political landscape, adjust it to be reading to be more appropriate for the situation so that we're not going to be just strict textualists. Now that we're done with the impeachment next week, I'm sure we'll have more news. We're going to move on to sports. Conor McGregor last night beat this guy called Cowboy in about 40 seconds, so I hope you didn't spend a ton of money on the pay-per-view because I saw it about a minute later on YouTube. Houston Astros had more videos released of what looked like electronic devices that might have been used during their 2017 series, where I, I remind you they won the World Series and beat the Yankees in the ALS championship, which is something that New Yorkers have not forgotten. And I'm not a New Yorker, but there's a lot of angry people here. There's one specific video in which Altuve hits a huge home run, and then while he's rounding third, he's signaling to his team teammates not to rip off his shirt. This, with other videos, seems to indicate he and others on his team had a buzzer or some sort of electronic system designed within their uniform, didn't want it to be exposed, and it would help with the timing of the pitch and what kind of pitch would come from that gigantic electric sign stealer program that they had going on at home. Now, the MLB has already levied a, and I quote, like a harsh fine and penalty against Houston, barring its manager for a year. They already fired him. $5 million, which is like a drop in the bucket to a billionaire. The loss of two first round and two second round picks over the course of two years. Boston and uh, New York, that being the Mets, both fired their managers who are members of that 2017 team. Boston is now under investigation because their manager, Alex Cora, was kind of seen as the face of starting this program. And he might even face harsher penalties if he's broken this two-time rule kind of thing. The MLB, though, looked into the wearable devices, or so it claims, but fans aren't satisfied because they came out and said that there was no wrong done by players like Altuve and, and others. And then the other one, too, that fans are upset about is this $5 million, which, again, is nothing for a billionaire owner. And even more so, individuals 
like Pete Rose have to be really angered by this because he just bet on games when he was a manager and he's barred from the Hall of Fame and baseball in general. So it seems like a, a very light slap on the wrist when in context it's, I think, far worse than what previous cheaters in baseball have done. Some have argued that their World Series title should be stripped from them, which is you know, a relatively fair argument, and we'll see what happens uh, even later with this. Uh, finally, in our closing statement this week, I saw some great films, so should you. Go out and check them out. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, really slow, really long, but... I've seen it now two or three times, and it, it gets better and better every single time. Jojo Rabbit, it re-released in theaters. Uh, it's nominated for an Academy Award. It, it's a fantastic story. And then the classic point break, because I am an FBI agent. All right, check them out. Also, toss a coin to your Witcher, oh, Valley of Plenty. Check out the show The Witcher on Netflix, and then go hear the remix of Dandelion's song by Dan Vasage. It's, it's straight metal. It's fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, Australia's getting some much-needed rain, given the country was just on fire. Kind of glad to see that that's coming around and really hope they recover. There's been some awesome videos of individuals in Australia taking care of animals. They were doing massive dumps of produce over the outback to help the animals eat since all of their food was burned. And if you guys and gals have any charities in mind you want us to talk about, please let us know. We're going to try to do a weekly charity drive to raise awareness for others in need. And I'm going to start it off with this week talking about the Safe Passages, Safe Passages Project. And before everyone listening gets political on me, which you know I absolutely fucking hate, I want everyone to remember the quote from earlier about due process, where we must preserve our commitment at home to the principles for which we fight abroad and with that being said, the Safe Passages Project is a nonprofit immigration legal service providing free lawyers to refugee and immigrant children in the New York City area facing deportation back to some life-threatening and violent situations. And keep in mind what I said there, children. A lot of you have been to Afghanistan and Iraq and have seen the impacts on young children there. So a little bit of empathy here goes a long way. And in 2017, the government reported nearly 40,000 children traveling along our U.S.-Mexico border. We have roughly 15,000 children on the court dockets not knowing the law. They're alone a lot of the times. They're unable to speak English. No one is showing them any sort of kindness. And immigrants are not entitled to court-appointed legal counsel. And so without knowing their rights, about 80% are deported and have no legal protection. So, Safe Passages provides that counsel just to make sure that these children have their humanity preserved. We're talking general health care, some education, and then services for a child's well-being. New York's harbor has the famous Statue of Liberty. Some of you only know that for Ghostbusters 2, walking through and taking out, I think, the Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art uh, to save a baby. But... On the Statue of Liberty, it talks about, you know, give me your tired, your hunger, your poor. I'm butchering that quote. But in general, America is a beacon. And one of the reasons why I got into pursuing a law degree is after serving with Afghan soldiers and the Katehas, some of whom have had the opportunity to immigrate, others that are waiting for their visa. And what they saw was America was this land of opportunity. And what we should remember is our ancestors and family members generations back made this same exact difficult journey to come here. We should remember how hard it was and how 
incredibly challenging it must have been to come to a new country, leaving everything that they knew, sometimes with nothing except the clothes on their back. And then we should also remember how great this country became as a result of all of their sacrifices as pioneers. So with that, I say, let's all be somebody. Have a great week going forward. Can't wait to see what happens this week in the news. You guys have an awesome time getting after our programming. Be somebody. Rangers lead the way.